Why don't you uh, go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6 are going to be this morning. Uh, As you're turning there, I I want to give us a... First of all, if you don't have a Bible on you this morning, if you throw your hand up, we have people who'd love to get a Bible into your hands. If you forgot your Bible or didn't bring a Bible, you throw your hand up. These guys would love to get you a Bible. If you don't own a Bible, for sure, throw your hand up and grab one of these and take it home as our gift to you. But as you're turning to John 6, I want to spend a few minutes just giving us a foundation to this whole series that we're doing that we're calling Far More. I mean, why, why are we doing this series? We're doing this series because we're looking forward to what God would have for us as we launch a new church sometime in early 2019, as we're looking towards that. And, and I want us to be prepared for that, not only be prepared that we be all in on this, but even just thinking through, what are we doing? Why far more? You know, it was over 10 years ago, just a little over 10 years ago, that there was a more than a few people that were telling us that we would never be able to plant a church in Muskoka. We had little money. We had even less of an idea of how it was going to happen or plans to make it happen. We, we were reaching small towns. We were told that, that Muskoka was not a happening place to plant churches, that that, that just isn't what you do. And, and with all those fears and all those voices in our head saying, you're not prepared enough, you're, you're reaching too far, this isn't going to work, and, and we move forward anyway. And as you can imagine, in those first few months especially, I spent a lot of time desperately on my knees begging for God to move. And, and as I prayed, there was this prayer that I prayed a lot, over and over again, a very specific prayer. And I asked God, God, would you do something that is, is so incredible in this little church in Muskoka, something that, that is so great that we look back on it, there'd be no way that we'd be able to say we did it. There'd be no way we could ever attribute it to anything but the, the hand of the living God who did it. And so, I mean, I prayed that. I, I prayed, God, would you do something so huge that, that no pastor could take credit, that no worship leader could take credit, that, that people wouldn't say, oh, I get it. Here's the program you used, or here's the affiliation you were a part of, but that people could look back and go, man, over these 10 years, it was obviously only done by God. Amen. Now, here, here's the crazy thing. We're 10 years in, and God's answered that prayer. And God's done a work through you that, 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 that could only be said that this is something way too big that we could have accomplished. It's only been done by the Spirit of God, way bigger than we ever could have dreamed. From planting churches internationally, and we were told, you guys, you're a small town church, you won't be able to be involved in planting churches internationally. And to see a couple churches already in 10 years, two churches planted in, in, internationally. To see, man, to see, to see biblical soul care be launched. Man, if I could tell you the, the opposition to launching that out, to taking that step of faith, to hiring Lee from Texas. I mean, yeah, sure, he left us, so we hate him for that, but no, I'm kidding, we don't. <laughs> As we continue in that ministry, why? Because we knew that there were hearts and lives that were broken in a desperate need of help and care. We're like, we're gonna reach beyond our grasp with this to launching the Perry Sound campus. And it continues to grow and lives are being transformed by the gospel in Perry Sound right now, this morning, as Pastor Godfrey brings a word there. I mean, the amount of lives that have been impacted, the amount of people that have been saved and baptized, marriages healed, people counseled, people discipled, people who, who met Christ in this church and are now leading in small groups. I mean, it's incredible. Only God could do it. Now, here's the thing. This has not been an easy 10 years. I mean, it's been some of the most incredible years of my life, but also probably the most challenging. And I'll be straight up honest with you, man, I'm wore out. 
And I, I believe that what God has for us coming in the next 10 years, I believe they're going to be challenging those years as well. It seems to be how God moves us on mission, isn't it? He, he, he calls us to, to reach out, to step out of, rather than being safe, and let's just do things that, that we've got all figured out and in control, but he calls us to reach out beyond our grasp. And we find ourselves in those places where we are desperately aware of our dependence on him. So here's my hope for us as we move forward in this series that we're calling Far More, that for us as a church, for us as families, for us as individuals, that we come before the Lord and we would say, God, God, you answered our prayer over the last 10 years. Would you continue to answer the same prayer? You were faithful before. Would you continue to be faithful? We, we want you to do far more, far more than, than what we had in the last 10 years. We want to see these 10 years, you do far more. Now, it's a bold thing to ask, God, do more than you've already done. But I'm telling you, it's a biblical thing to ask. In fact, here's a verse that's, that's given us kind of the, the theme verse of this series, and it's this. It says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly, that all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. I mean, that's what this series is about, that we're celebrating that God, not us, okay, not us, God's done something far more than we ever could have imagined, than we ever could have planned. And we're asking him, God, we want more. Would you do more through us in the days that are coming? And, and, and we're going to unpack the details of this one campaign even more in this series as we go through this series. And, and listen, if you have any questions, if you couldn't make it to one of those vision nights we had, we had three vision nights this summer. We unpack more of the details of this campaign of what it looks like to launch a new church location in Huntsville. If you missed those and you have questions, or maybe you were in those and you still had questions you didn't ask or more questions came up as you've thought more about it, please grab me, grab one of our elders, grab Gary Webster, our treasurer, grab Jim Beatty, who's been instrumental in leading us in how to do this well. So if you would grab one of these people and ask your question. So where are we now? As we're looking forward, where are we now? Let, let me show you a picture of just kind of where the, the building's at in Huntsville right now. The, you can see the foyer stuff's being added on, works going on there, continuing to happen in at our Huntsville location. And the, by all that we've heard from what's going on with the construction, it's going well. And we should have the building completed in the time that we're hoping to have it completed. We've had staff and, and, and key leader teams beginning to look forward to, hey, what, what does it take for us to be ready for when that building's done? For, to be ready for the date that we say we want to launch out on this date. What, what do you need to do to be ready for that? And we're working through all the details so that at the right time we can move forward. Now here's where we're going from this point. Here's where I want us to go in this series. I, I hope that I mean, over the last year and a half as we've been talking about this, and it's crazy to think it was a year and a half ago where this, this building was donated to us. And we've been leaning into this mission. We've, we've, been, we've been praying, God, how will you use us to do this? And here's what we're looking for each of us to do. Two things. One, that we take a step forward in our involvement. Wherever you are, whether you just walked in here today and you're like, man, I just came to church. Awesome. Could you get involved? Or if you've been following Jesus for like 50, 60 years, that you would say, Lord, what do you have for me in this next season to be involved in the mission that you've called me to, in the mission that you have to reach the lost and the world that you call the church, that you would have me in that mission? 
take a step forward in your involvement. And here's the other one I'm asking, unashamedly asking that we would take a step forward in our investment as well. Investing our finances and our prayer into what God would have coming forward. Over the summer, over the summer, remember the, the spring, we launched out a series and we called all of us, hey, would you take the summer to pray and to fast? God, how do you want me to be invested and involved in this? And, and I wanna thank you for leaning into the Lord on this, that you took the time, that you would actually have prayed and fasted as families, as individuals. Because here's the thing, I don't want us to give because you say, well, my pastor told me to give, so I guess I'll give. I don't want you to give because you're like, well, you know what? I think I've got most of the details figured out, so I'll give a little bit to this thing. No, I want us to give because the Lord's pressed in on your heart and said, this is what I want you to do. Two Sundays from now, we're gonna have what we call a pledge Sunday. Next Sunday, you'll see these cards. We'll have them on all the chairs. This a card that you'll have that you'll be able to, to, to fill in. And here's what a pledge Sunday is all about. is where you say, you know what? All the prayer and fasting, all the seeking of the Lord, this is what the Lord's laid on our heart. And whether you do it as an individual or do it as families, on that card, what you write on this card, that our bookkeeper will gather them all and what will be written on that is, here's what I want to give. Here's what I want to give. Maybe part of it is going to be, here's my one-time gift to get this thing started. But then this is a three-year campaign. Like we're hoping over three years to raise $3.5 million. That you would say, over the three years, here's what I think the Lord could be doing. Now I get it. Three years is a big space. Like, I don't know what God's going to do. I don't know where I'm going to be financially. No, no one's going to, like, have this thing posted. And if your giving doesn't match up, we're coming after you. And the, the giving police will be at your house. Right? No, no. It's a way for you to say, this is what the Lord's leading me right now. And it's a way for our bookkeeper to gather those numbers up. And they'll go, here's where we're at as we look forward to these next three years. It helps us get an understanding of, hey, how fast is this going to happen? What's this going to look like moving forward? We want to raise $1.2 million to see the building completed in Huntsville. We want to raise enough money to see the renovations happen in Perry Sound. And I get it. That's an added thing we added in to it. Because God just seemed to drop that one on our lap. And we don't want to say no to something that looks like God just gave us. So that's the other thing we're raising funds for, that we could finish the building in Perry Sound. And then finally, that we would be able to, in three years, be able to end the three years with the building in Huntsville paid for and enough money for it to operate with Perry Sound uh, renovated and moved in and operating and enough money, over $2 million in the bank, ready to say, what's God got for Bracebridge now? What's the thing we can do? What do we use that land for? Where do we move next in Bracebridge? That's the hope. And so two Sundays from now, there'll be card, cards next Sunday, but two Sundays, we all bring our cards and go, this is what we're going to do. Now, here's the thing. You don't have to wait for two Sundays from now. If the Lord's, like, dropped some huge coin on you and you just want to give it, then you can give it now. Here's the thing. We could use it now because the building's happening right now. Renovations are going on. And, yeah, we could use the finances today for sure to see this happen. Here's why I'm saying all this. Listen, I, I've never been one to be good at asking for money. We've never really done it a lot in our church, but here's why we're saying this today. Why would I be able to come up here and boldly say involvement and investment? This is what we need to do because I want us all to be in a posture, the right posture where we could actually say, God, do far more. We have to take that step of faith going, okay, Lord, I'm moving out in this. I'm taking this step of faith. I'm giving, I'm serving. Now, God, would you take this and do far more? Let me pray, and then we're going to dig into the text this morning. That was a long introduction, but we're going to get into the word right now. Let me pray. Lord God, I thank you for the opportunity you've given each of us to partner with you. Lord, it's crazy to even think that we'd be able to partner with an awesome, holy creator, God of the universe, but you allow us to partner with you in the mission you've called us to. 
So God, I, I pray, Lord, that, that as, as you've laid it on people's hearts over the summer, as, Lord, we've been, been just leaning into you in prayer for what you would have for us, God, that the fruit of that would begin to be seen this fall. God, that we would, we would respond to your call. And Lord, we'd give. We, we would sacrificially give. Give of our time and our resources to see you do what only you can do. So that, Lord, these next 10 years, we would see even more, even more of your work, even more of your mission, that you would use us to do it. Lord God, we want to be all in on that. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was, uh, I think I've, I've, I've talked about this before where I was, in Montana visiting a friend. I was teaching at a school that he was running and, and, and part of the time I was out there because it's Montana, you want to get out and enjoy the mountains of Montana. And so him and another guy took me out hunting. And, uh, and the one guy who we were with, he was your classic, you picture Montana mountain man, this was that dude, all right? You could let a match off his face, all right? Like, he, I'm sure he wore camo at his wedding. Like, that's the kind of guy he was, right? And, and, and he was intense, and as we're walking through the mountains, I am not a Montana man's man. I know, shocking that you would think that, right? And so, so as we're walking through the mountains, I mean, I'm not, I'm not as far as like picking flowers and singing show tunes as we're out there, but, but almost, right? Like I'm just sort of like just enjoying the, it's a beautiful day, carrying my gun, right? I'm just sort of around just really loving the mountains. And, and this guy was intense. And he, he turned behind as I'm just kind of doing this. And he turned behind and he goes, hey, pay attention. And I'm like, okay, Captain Intensity, what's up with you? Like, we're out in the beautiful mountains. Why, why are you so serious all of a sudden? And then he said this. He said, listen, we're not the only hunters out here. And I thought, we've been hiking out here for three hours. I have not seen one other person out here. And he said, I'm not talking about people with guns. I'm talking about this place is full of grizz. Now, that's mountain man talk for grizzly bears. All right, I, I had to ask him, what do you, right? Grizzly, like he says, they're everywhere. Here's the thing. This guy was not over the top. He was not too intense. He was as intense as you should be in that situation. I was not. Why? Because I had no idea of the danger all around me. Let me tell you, I held my gun a little tighter after that. I was not as looking at flowers as much as I was before. Now, here's the thing. Jesus steps in, and you, you read through the gospel that Jesus says some things a little bit like this mountain man would. Jesus says some things that, that when you read them, you can think, man, that's intense. And then people could be, people were looking at Jesus when he was walking around on earth in the same way we can when we read his stuff and they're like, whoa, 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 Jesus, what are you doing? Like, like, why are you so over the top? But maybe, maybe, just maybe, the problem is not that Jesus is too intense. Maybe the problem is that we don't always understand the mission that Jesus has called us to. In fact, our first point this morning is this, that Jesus is calling us to his mission. And, and when, we, when we read his call to mission, it can shock us a little bit. We can pull back a little bit at Jesus' words and, and think they're, they're too extreme. But what I hope we see is that it's not the call to mission that's too extreme. Maybe it's our perception. I mean, we say we believe this book. We, we believe there really is a God. We believe in eternity. We believe that our life is short. It's like a vapor. We're here and gone, but there is eternity. And there are people who are dying without Christ. I mean, are we too engaged or are we not engaged enough? I mean, it really comes down to perspective, doesn't it? 
In John chapter six here, Jesus was on a bit of a roll with people. He was building up a, a big following. I mean, in John chapter four, he heals a, a boy and then people are like, wow, we love that. We wanna follow this guy. Then in John chapter five, he heals a crippled man and the crowds are gathering. They love what Jesus is doing. The crowds are so big that in John chapter six, where we are here, the, it was this massive crowd and Jesus then feeds, miraculously feeds 5,000 men, it says. So not even counting the women and children. There could have been over 15,000 people gathered around Jesus and he miraculously feeds them all. Like Jesus is on a roll right now. And they're, they're following him. And in fact, they ask him, hey, can we have some more of that bread you fed us? And then look at verse 48 of John chapter six. Jesus said this, when they're asking for bread, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He says, forget that bread you're looking for. Yeah, yeah, it probably tasted great, but really that's all you want? Forget that. He says, I'm the bread of life. Then he goes even further. Look down at verse 53. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. For whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living father sent me and I live because of the father. So whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread that the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Now, now imagine yourself hearing Jesus say that. Imagine you're one of his disciples and you're like, this is great, look at the followers, we build up such a huge following and then Jesus gives this speech. And you're like, could you say flesh and blood one more time, Jesus? Really? What are you talking about? What are you thinking? Look at verse 60, you can see what happens. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. This is hard to accept. Who can listen to it, they said. You know, we can be so numbed and lulled by our culture that we would say, Jesus, your call is too hard. Like, like just bless me. Just, just give me the things that you're going to give me, but don't call me to some sort of wild-eyed, radical, all-in, walk-out-in-faith, sold-out, Jesus-freak kind of life. Like, I just want to be comfortable. And we see these people here who would call themselves followers of Jesus. It says in verse 60, many of his disciples, people who were following him, Look at verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Lots of them were just hanging out with Jesus. Lots of them were enjoying the blessing that, that it would be to be with Christ, but they were not embracing him as God. They were not embracing him as Lord, as, as their ultimate joy. You're my satisfaction. They're like, no, 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 no. We want what you give us, not you. I mean, what about us? I mean, let's get real practical. What about us right here in our church? I mean, I, I hear the excitement for what it would be to, to reach more people with the gospel as we plant another location. But, but I gotta tell you, I've also heard this and I, I'm with you. I've heard this. Man, this is not gonna be easy. This seems like a harder way to do church. I mean, sending half our church family to another town, that's not easy. Yeah, we'll reach more people for sure, but man, this is gonna be hard. That's a difficult way to do it. I, adding a third location, that's not easy. 
Listen, even doing church the way we do church, I, mean, I don't know if you've you kind of felt this, but this whole idea of, of not just smiling and saying everything's okay, but getting into a small group and actually getting into people's lives and pressing in with care and challenge. And, I mean, it's not easy. I mean, I, I know small group leaders are wore out. They're tired. And, and we look to this new plant in Huntsville. Let me tell you this. It would be way easier for us not to do anything. It would be way easier for us just to stay and do what we've been doing all along. Let's just stay together like this. It would cost far less money for sure. It would, it would take way less effort, less leaders, less time. We could keep doing what we're doing right now. It wouldn't take any sacrifice at all. And, but listen, it is such a critical moment for us as a church right now. Do you know that typically 10 to 12 years, the, the lifespan of a church is when, when a, after about 10 to 12 years where a, a church has seen God do some amazing things that, that after about 10 to 12 years, most churches begin to plateau and eventually begin to decline. And sadly, eventually churches die. I mean, you see it happen a lot. They, they begin as a group of passionate people about, man, we wanna, we're, we're passionate about Jesus. We want to be on mission to reach the lost. We want to be on the mission of God. And then something crazy happens. God answers those prayers. Lots of people start getting saved and, and people get discipled and missionaries are sent out. And, and, and around the 10 to 12 year mark, churches get comfortable with what's been going on. And little by little, they lose that passion for Christ. They lose that passion for the lost. They eventually get apathetic. They kind of sit back and go, I like our comfortable thing. And I'm telling you, they eventually die. Because there's, there's two great weapons that Satan will use in a church. He'll use division for sure. Where, where we stop fighting Satan, we stop fighting the evil, and we start fighting each other. We're not unified in mission and we lose sight of the mission. But he'll also use this weapon. He'll use complacency. He'll take away the momentum of a church that, that's being powerfully used by God and, and he lulls us into this slow, steady decline of complacency where we just start to forget the mission. Because I believe this, I don't think Satan will take us out with attack. I'm not saying he won't attack, he has attacked. He's done it a lot. This has been difficult. It's been a hard 10 years. There are people who could share stories of, of, man, this is where it just seemed like Satan was trying to take us out, trying to stop us from the mission. But, but all it did was draw us nearer to God, nearer to each other. It got us on our knees, desperate in prayer, and the mission continued to grow. I think, I think the greater danger for us as a church is that we grow weary or we grow comfortable that we find Jesus' call to mission is too intense. It's too much. It's too great. And here's the thing. Taking up your cross and following Christ is a very hard call. But here's the thing. His call is hard, but it's not a heavy call. I, I love how Jesus says in Matthew 11 where he says, come to me and I'll give you rest. He says, you're working so hard beneath this yoke of the law and I gotta do more and do more. And, and Jesus says, no, 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 take my yoke. It's light, it's, it fits perfectly on you. It's, you'll find rest for your soul when you take my yoke. He says, my call isn't heavy. He, he came to set us free from burdens, not, not to, to lay more burdens on us. So, so here's the thing, he's not trying to get us to do something that's gonna hurt our life. Every command that Jesus gives us is about, I want to bring more life into your life. So if he says no, he's saying, no, no, this isn't good for you. If he calls a step out and risk it because he knows that that's where God wants us to be. And, and so he calls us into that. And so Jesus steps in and says, listen, I want to give you abundant life. 
I'm the bread of life, he says. I'm the one that you feed on. And I'll meet every need in your life from the inside out. I think often, though, we hear Christ call to say, feed on me, follow me. And we start to argue with him about it, don't we? We're like, mm, I don't know. I know what you're calling me to, and I know you say that it's the abundant life, but I'm not sure. And it's like someone coming up to you and saying, hey, listen, I have got an all-expense paid trip to Europe. You'll be gone for a month. Everything's covered. And we say, hmm, wouldn't it be easier if we just went to Wasaga Beach? Like, it's, it's a shorter drive. Why don't we just do that? That wouldn't make any sense, would it? Yes, Lord. <laughs> Listen, to accept that call, to say, here's what you've been given. You say, I want the easier. I want the smaller. It doesn't make any sense, but that's what we do. Why? Because we don't recognize that Jesus is saying, I'm not trying to weigh you down. I'm trying to lift you up. I'm trying to give you life. And, and I love that Jesus is always, he's reaching down to those messed up, broken people who know they're desperate and in need of him. And Christ's like, I'm here for you. And they reach up, I need you, Jesus. But I love this too, that Jesus also presses in on, on those of us who feel like we don't need him. When we get to that place of, I'm actually pretty satisfied. And Jesus pushes hard on our hearts when we get to that place. And he says, hey, you're looking for satisfaction in everything else. And it's never going to satisfy you. Here in John 6, the people said, we want more food. We want a little bit of religion. We want, to, we, want, we want a little bit of rules and we just want to hang out in church and, and that's as far as we want to go and, and we want to hang on to our, our stuff, our family, our, our identity, our security, our comfort and, and that's where we want to live our life and Jesus steps in and he says, that's no good. Stop looking there and thinking that's where there's life. He's saying, I can give you life. Feed on me. Second point this morning is this. I need to pursue Jesus as my source of life. And people are following Christ in John 6. Why? Because they wanted to have their stomachs full. They wanted to have this pressing desire. They have, I'm hungry. My stomach's grumbling. And I want to have this met. I want to have this free lunch. Look at verse 26. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, you're seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You guys are just looking for more lunch. He goes on in verse 27, do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. He, he's saying, listen, it's not bad you're looking for food, but that's not everything. If you want your ultimate needs met, find them in me, he says. I mean, how often do we, do we have our lives set up in a way where we run to everything else? We, we go after the gifts that he gives instead of the giver of the gifts himself. And, and we look to people, that's gonna meet my needs. We look to, to stuff and money, to status, to comfort, to control. Look what Jesus says in verse 35. Jesus said to them, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. 
He's literally saying this, I'm the provision of God. I'm the one who fully, completely, eternally satisfies all your needs. I'm the one who fulfills your cravings. God's wired us this way. He's wired us to have hearts that seek to be filled. And he's wired us in a way that we only can be satisfied in him and nothing else. I mean, he's the one our souls desire for. He's the one we find our ultimate satisfaction. I mean, listen, how, how radically transforming would it be if we grabbed a hold of just that truth, that God, you're my ultimate satisfaction. That, that we would look around and even at the best things this world has to offer, we would say, yeah, those are great, but man, they don't compare to, to what Jesus has for me. I mean, revolutionary in our culture to live that way. I mean, let's just be honest for a second as we look at our lives and we, we just, just look at the stuff that we fill our lives with and, and why? Why would I grab so many things to fill my life with so many things? Because clearly, clearly God's not enough for me. And I need more, I need bigger. I need, and we're grasping and reaching at, at, I need this person, I need this stuff, I need this comfort, I need this, this identity, I need all of this, I need it all. And then Jesus steps into the midst of that chaos and he says, listen, you have everything in me. And when we live our lives like that, when we're all in for the Lord, when we're, we're all our hope, all our satisfaction, all our fulfillment is in him, I'm telling you, you look different. Your life looks different. And the tragedy is when we actually grab for stuff just like all those who don't know Christ what are we saying? We're showing a watching world, you know what? God's not quite enough. In fact, Jonathan Edwards, he was a preacher during the Great Awakening. It's a revival that changed America in the 1700s. He said this. He said, our external delights, our earthly pleasures, our ambition, our reputation, and our human relationships, for all these things, our desires are eager, our appetites strong, our love warm and affectionate. When it comes to these things, our hearts are tender and sensitive and deeply impressed, easily moved, much concerned, and greatly engaged. We're depressed at our losses. We're excited or joyful about any worldly success or prosperity. But when it comes to spiritual matters, how dull we feel, how heavy and hard our hearts we can sit and hear of the infinite height and length and breadth and love of God in Christ Jesus, of his giving his infinitely dear son, and yet sit there cold and unmoved. He goes on, he says, if we're going to be excited about anything, shouldn't it be our spiritual lives? Is there anything more inspiring, more exciting, more lovable and desirable in heaven or on earth than the gospel of Jesus Christ? We should be utterly humbled that we're not more emotionally affected than we are. I mean, our emotions can swing on so many things that, that don't really matter. There's one who does matter, and, and, and he deserves not just our intellectual belief, not just an assent to, yes, I believe that Jesus Christ is who he said it is, but when we see the cross and the empty tomb, when we, when we see the gospel displayed that, that Christ took my sin and my shame, and he took all that, and he gave me his righteousness and eternal life in him, and shouldn't we be moved deeply by that? Shouldn't that be truly amazing grace to us? That our desire, our joy, our satisfaction are found in him. But here's the, the danger. The danger is if we're not careful, we gorge ourselves on everything else that doesn't matter. 
And Jesus is saying, when he's saying about his flesh and his blood, he's saying, I have to be your food and drink. What's he mean by that? That, that he's our food and drink. What do I mean when I say that? I, I, it's this, where do you find your satisfaction? Like what makes you tick? What gives you energy and keeps you going? What's your food and drink? If we're honest with ourselves, where do we actually run to? Is it, is it career success? Is it material things or money? Is it relationships? Is it your family? Is it control? Is it relaxation and comfort and ease? Is it, is it being accepted? Is it, is it when you're noticed and that's the food for you? Is it, is it perfection? If I can just get things right, if I can have everything in order, I mean, that fills me up. Is it, what's your food and drink? What is it that gives you energy when you have it, drains you when it's not there? That, listen, that's what we eat and drink. And Jesus is saying so clearly, I have to be that. I have to be your food and drink. I have to be the first you go to for your hope, for your foundation, for your purpose, for your life. It's, it's not good enough that Jesus is just our teacher. It's not, not good enough that he's our inspiration or our example or, or the, the great vending machine in the sky that gives us whatever we ask for. No, he needs to be our, our center. He is what energizes us. He's our food and drink. And it's interesting, the ones who were following Jesus here, not, not true followers, but they were there, and, and the, the kind of like, hey, we like being with you, but man, we don't want to submit to your hard call. They can't swallow when Jesus says, I have to be your everything. I mean, they're looking for satisfaction. They're looking for, is there any other way? Is there a way? We, just give us some idea of what we need to do. Look, look at verse 28. Here's what they're asking. They said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus saying, follow me, be satisfied in me, put your whole life on me. Like, no, 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 what are the religious things we need to do? What are the formulas? And what do we do? We, we try to conquer sin that way, don't we? We're like, if I, if I just get the right formulas in place, if I do the right things, if I, if I work harder, if I grip my teeth, if I pull up my socks, if I just make this happen. And Look what he says to answer them in verse 29. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he sent. He's listening. It, it's God's work in you that changes your heart. It's when you rest in me as your Savior. It's when you put your hope in me. It's when you come to me. Again, he says, I'm the bread of life. Feed on me. Trust in me. Believe in me. Let me fill you. Let me satisfy you. My prayer is this, that as a church, we would be in that place where we see that all we have as our source of life, that, that God would conti continue to show us that he is our ultimate satisfaction. That God would show us how great he is, how good the gospel is, that everything else that we look to, like, like it would be like a, a cold, greasy bucket of KFC compared to a nice meal at the keg. You know what I'm saying? And these things that used to draw us so easy, we're like, really? That's what used to draw me? And not anymore. I got something so much better. And we're being called to take a step out in faith. And yes, it's going to be hard. Yes, it's going to be a battle. But listen, listen, Jesus can do the work. We just need to see him. 
We need to believe him when we can't see the full picture. And maybe you're in a place right now, you're like, really, you're calling me to be used by God? Man, I'm just figuring some stuff out. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm a broken person. Then take the step of faith toward God's grace. Trust him when it's hard. Follow him when, when you see the risk that's ahead. And you're like, man, I don't know. It's a sacrifice to do this. Can we trust him? Because here's our last point this morning. It's this. There's nowhere else to go but Jesus. Verse 66 said many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And this crowd is saying, you know, I, I don't know if I, I can do this. And Jesus begins to press in on their hearts so hard. He says, listen, you need to look at your life. You need, you need to look at where your hopes are. You need to look at, at are you experiencing the satisfaction in Christ? And, and maybe, maybe this morning you've been going through the motions. You, maybe you've been driven by guilt or by religion or, or, or maybe you've been looking for the payoff of Christianity but not the cost. And Jesus is stepping into that moment. I love it. He, he's not harsh when he steps in. When these people say, man, that's too hard. I mean, what Jesus was doing in that moment when they're trying to follow him just for the, the stuff around him, Jesus is saying, I need to wake you up. And so he, he says these hard things. Why? To get their attention, to rescue them out of this place they're trying to build their life on. And he comes to us this morning too and he says this in verse 67. Jesus said to the 12, he's saying to us, do you want to go away as well? The call's hard. Do you really want this? Do you, do you want to lean into this? Do you want to have Christ as your all? Do you want to be all in for him? Jesus, is this what you want? Look what Peter says in verse 68. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? I mean, I like it. It's almost like Peter's thought about it. It's like he's looked around. And when I've kind of checked out other things, I mean, Jesus, you're not an easy guy to follow. I mean, you go into the temple and start kicking people out and throwing tables and stuff. That's not easy. You're talking about people eating your flesh and drinking your blood. That's not easy. You're always putting us into these situations where it's so challenging. It's not easy. But Jesus, I've looked around. Where else are we going to go? He's tasted other things. He recognizes, like, like many of you here this morning, you're like, man, I've been down the road. I've tried to find satisfaction and hope in other places, and it turns up empty every time. And, and Peter's at this place where he goes, it's a waste and he's, he's almost saying in a, in a way of helplessness. I mean, what, what a great place to be. That, that's the beginning of life. When we get to that place, we go, I got nothing. I don't have the wisdom to see this through, Jesus. I don't, I don't have the resources to make this happen. I don't have everything figured out on this. And you come to the end of yourself, and it's great because you realize that all the striving, listen, all the good works we do, you're still lost without Christ. Scripture's pretty clear. We're sinners who fall short of God's glory and that it's only through Christ's death and resurrection that we, broken as we are, come to him and we're made whole. That's why Jesus had to die in our place. I'm telling you, this is the beginning of true Christianity. When you fall down and you go, where else am I gonna go? I have no more resources. I mean, if you sit here this morning and you think, you know what, I'm actually not that bad off. I got things under control. I'm actually pretty good. I don't know if I'm in that place where I, I don't think I really desperately need Jesus. You're not getting Christianity. Peter starts with the reality of where he is, but I love he doesn't stop there. Look as the verse goes on. He says this, you have the words of eternal life. He sees his 
hopelessness in his sin, but he sees the hope he has in Christ. You have the words of eternal life. And it changes everything. When we find our joy in him, we find our hope, our foundation, our life, and we see the gospel and his grace, that, that joy we have in Christ changes everything. We begin to see that there's nothing that this life can give us that can compare to that. There's nothing that this world or death or sickness could take away from us that can compare to what we have in Christ. And what it does, it changes the way we look at things. We now can look at relationships differently. And we can, we can love and care for people, right? But, but we're no longer in this transactional, I'll care for you as long as you give me this. No, because we flow out of this. Jesus died for me, a broken, busted up sinner. Man, I want to pour my life out for you and love you in the same way Jesus loves me. It changes relationships. It changes what we do with our, with our money and our stuff. I mean, we can be the most generous people in the world. Why? Because we're like, Jesus is taking care of everything. He's my satisfaction. Give a tithe, give 10%. Are you kidding me? I could give more. Like, Christ, you've got me. You, you have everything that I need, and I, I want to I be a part of the mission this way. Well, what about weakness and troubles? When we, we see how broken we are, we see how, how we're helpless at times, where I don't know if I have a lot to offer. And when you know the grace of God, that's the place where God steps in and goes, good. It's in your weakness that, that, that I'm shown. I, you're made perfect in your weakness. The Apostle Paul says, I'll boast all the more gladly of my weakness so the power of Christ can rest on me. It changes how we look at weakness. It changes how we view sin. We begin to live in awe of grace and celebrate grace. We see sin for what it is. It's cheap and it's hollow. Here's the thing. Satan could take us out through persecution for sure, but I think... I think the more dangerous way that he takes out believers today is by lulling us to sleep by the pleasures of life. With comforts and complacency that, that, that render us ineffective for the kingdom of God. It happened to King David. Later in King David's life, you know the story, maybe he's, he's up on a rooftop and, and he's, he's up there and he sees Bathsheba, this, this beautiful woman, naked, taking a bath. And he goes, man, I want to find out who she is because I want her. And they say, well, she's married to this other guy. I don't care. And he takes her. And he sleeps with her. And after that sin, listen, David's life was no longer the same. Listen, he, he repented. He found joy in, 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 in forgiveness, but things never were the same again. There were ripple effects to that complacency, to that sin. His family was in chaos. Israel ultimately divided. How did it happen? 2 Samuel 11.1 1 says this. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabah, but David remained in Jerusalem. David's supposed to be on mission. He's supposed to be in battle. He, he hangs back in Jerusalem. The verse goes on in 2 Samuel 11. It says this, it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful. David didn't get taken out when he was a shepherd fighting bears and lions. David didn't get taken out when he was a young boy and he was alone standing up to Goliath, the giant. David didn't get taken out when Saul was trying to kill him over and over again. He got taken out on a couch one late afternoon, bored out of his mind, resting on past victories. 
Listen, as the worship team comes up, as we wrap this up this morning, in this season as we look forward, in this, this sermon series, but even more than as we look forward to what God has for us next, I'm challenging myself in this. I want to challenge all of us in this. Let's get up off the couch if we're lounging around and get into the fight. I mean, there's some people here, I'll, I'll be honest, there are people here who are tired, and if you're not involved, they could use the support to help share the load. If you are off the couch and you are in the fight, like David should have been, I, I want to challenge you to stay off that couch, to take another step forward on this mission, to see, God, what are you going to use me for? What have you called me to? I'm telling you, the sacrifice is worth it. Spending our lives on the front lines of this mission is worth it. I mean, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if Jesus Christ had not been raised from the dead, then, then we're nutty to give our lives to this. It's crazy to do this. If Jesus didn't come up out of the ground, then this is the dumbest sermon series in the world. If Jesus Christ didn't raise from the dead, then, then me saying to give your life, your time, your finances, your gifts, your efforts, your ownership, it's the dumbest thing I could ever say. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that I should be pitied for even talking about it if Jesus didn't raise from the grave. But Jesus has been raised from the dead. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians, Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So we'd be always abounding. Why? Why? Because we know that our labor is not in vain. Would you stand with me as I, as I pray and as we close? Here's what I want you to do as we're getting ready to, to, to sing together. I, I want you to pray. If you're here this morning and, and you don't know Christ, whether you've been, you've been here for a long time, a part of what we're doing for a long time, and you love being a part of this, but you're still on the outside looking in. Maybe you've, you've only been here for a short time. Maybe you just came this morning. And you're like, man, I don't even know Christ yet. What are you calling me to? I'm calling you to this. I'm calling you to what Christ would call you to. Know him. You start there. You start not with good works. You don't start with doing things for Christ. You begin by saying, Jesus, I need you. Take my sin, take my shame, take my guilt, and give me your righteousness and your life. If you are a Christ follower this morning, here, here's what I want you to do. I, I want you to pray first for yourself. Maybe you found that complacency has crept in. That even right now, you ask, God, would you do a work in my heart today? God, would you use me in this next season? Would you just take some time just to pray that? Would you also take some time to, to pray for our church, for those around you? That, that we would know that Christ is able to do far more. That, that he would do something so big in this next season, something so big that, that no one would be able to look back and say, we did it at all. They would look back and say, only the hand of God could do this. Would you pray that God would do that? Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning as helpless as Peter was. Lord, we have nowhere else to go. The task is too great. 
the mission is too hard. We can't do it on our own, but God, we know, we know that you promise that the power of the resurrection is at work in us. So God, I pray that we would know that, that we would know the power of the resurrection for you to do far more in our lives right now, Lord, that, that you, would, you would redeem as only you can, that you would take care of brokenness and shame as only you can, that you would take care of rebellion and complacency as only you can. Lord, we'd lean into you and see you do far more in our hearts. And that, God, by the power of your spirit, you do far more in our church. You do far more across Muskoka and Perry Sound. You do far more to the ends of the earth, and God, use us. We're not satisfied with anything else in this world. We only want you. And so we surrender it all to you this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing.